0: Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month.
1: Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. I hope all of you have had a great holiday. I hope you were able to get away from work, get some rest, find some time for yourself and find some time for your family. Can you believe it? We are already six episodes into this thing. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. Thank you for listening and continue to listen as we bring the process of this podcast into the new year 2020. I love the new year. The stress of the holiday season's over. The new year for me represents new beginnings, a fresh start. There's kind of that excitement to see the new year has in store i hope that also holds true for you with that said as always we have a great lineup for you today we're starting off the show with what's on my mind followed by mailbox mania looking at articles that might improve your practice then we have not one but two guest speakers for you first up rose seavey followed by isham president tony thurman both speakers discussing the hot topic of of point-of-use treatment. So let's start this new year off by diving into the segment What's On My Mind. So the deadline for the poster presentation is Friday, January 31st, so you've got a couple weeks to pull this together. Now why am I talking about poster presentations? Well, I get a lot of questions and emails from folks asking how can they elevate their career? Well, there's lots of things you can do. One being educational. You know, you can complete an associate's degree or get a bachelor's or master's degree. You can also sit for a certification or start publishing things like writing lesson plans. Today, I'm talking about publishing a poster presentation for the 2020 Isham Annual Conference and Expo. When I was just a young Padawan, you know, trying to find my way into sterile processing, I had a lot of these same questions. How do I elevate my career? How do I stand out from others? One thing I did was submit for a poster presentation. By doing that, a couple things happened for me. One, I was able to use the fact that I had been published on a national, organizational level to give me that edge over my peers when it came to my yearly evaluation. At that time, no one else I worked with was able to say that. No one else was able to say that they had been published. It set me apart from the others. You know, and it also made my organization look good, right? Um, By publishing, it made them stand out. And it also looks good on a resume. So again, you know, just by publishing something, it kind of sets you apart, makes you stand out. So my poster presentation uh, back then was on process improvement. Now I was a lead on a project with collaboration in the OR to improve an infection prevention concern. So personally, I was proud of the work that I had done towards that process improvement. And I wanted to share my successes with others. You know, maybe there was someone out there having those same issues, you know, that we were having at our facility. Maybe the poster that I put out could help guide their process as they improve their practices. For me in my career, that poster presentation was like a catalyst, right? After that, I started presenting education material locally, managing sterile processing departments, writing education material, and eventually all leading up to where I am now, working with the education team here at Isham as a clinical educator. So for me, the poster presentation is a great opportunity for you to showcase the hard work you put into the improving processes and helps you stand out from others. With all that said, if this is something that interests you, the deadline is January 31st, at 11.59 Central Standard Time. Isham has made this process super easy, right? All you have to do, go to the Isham website and that will lead you to the information page so you can read the criteria for submission. Again, this is super easy. You may not know this, but most professional organizations out there require you to spend your money to print the poster. Not with ISHM. They're going to print the poster, have posters set up at the conference at no charge to you. All you have to do is submit your idea, and if it's approved, we will do the rest. Man, it it doesn't get any easier than that. Again, read through the submission criteria, pay special attention to the display format. New this year, brand new, a handful of posters will be selected and the authors will have the opportunity to present their poster content in person during the conference. Now, that's pretty cool. So again, a great way to display and potentially talk about your hard work and your accomplishments. So get after it. Submit those poster ideas today. And with that, we're going to wrap up What's On My Mind. this week in mailbox mania we're taking a look back at the november december 2019 issue of process magazine now if you're unfamiliar with the process magazine this is the bi-monthly isham publication that is jam-packed with sterile processing information no matter what stage you are in your career now i am biased because i work for isham But in my opinion, this is the best publication out there for sterile processing professionals. The editor, Julie Williamson, does a spectacular job of bringing this magazine together every single issue. Well done, Julie. I should also mention the contributing columnists and vendor partners who are dedicated to writing the various columns and lesson plans that continuously keep this publication relevant. So thank you, Julie. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, education team and vendor partners who make this publication what it is. The first article we're going to look at today is the CER lesson plan titled Microbial Surveillance of Flexible Endoscopes. The learning objectives are define microbial surveillance and understand the current standards and professional society recommendations for performing microbial surveillance of flexible endoscopes. Review published studies stating contaminated rates and findings should be interesting and then outline the current methods available for performing microbial surveillance on endoscopes. The introduction to this article reads, Outbreaks of bacterial infection associated with endoscopes are often attributed to improperly reprocessed endoscopes. However, recent reports have identified carbapenem-resistant enterobacteriaceae. CRE transmission associated with contaminated duodenoscopes for which no breaches in reprocessing were identified. So they're finding this even when no breaches are found with the reprocessing. Great article uh, if you process endoscopes or you're in that process of centralizing endoscopes into the sterile processing area. So great article to review. The next article How to prepare for a steam sterilization load recall. The introduction to this article reads, Sterilization is a complex process that requires extensive monitoring. The sterilization process most commonly used in healthcare is steam. Steam sterilization processes use chemical indicators, biological indicators, physical monitoring to determine if the parameters for sterilization have been met, loads can be released, and then they're ready for patients. Even the best processes fail sometimes. So healthcare facilities must be able to retrieve devices whose sterility may be questionable. Having a process for retrieval and documentation of facility sterilized devices from failed loads will make this stressful event manageable. Now the learning objectives for this article, identify uh, common causes of steam sterilization failures and actions to take when failure occurs Establish a process that mitigates or eliminates the impact of load recalls on the healthcare facility. And then last, determine actions to reduce load recalls. Hopefully, load recall is an infrequent event at your facility. You know, but as often we do, when events don't happen very often, we tend to get complacent. We forget how to handle situations. So, this article is a good refresher or a reminder to review the policy and procedures and make sure that you and the other staff in your department are prepared for a recall event. I recommend everyone read this full article. The next article is Instrument Staining. What causes it and how to prevent it? The introduction reads, Surgical instrumentation, spotting, staining, and corrosion are serious problems in many healthcare facilities. These problems can be avoided if careful attention is given to the method of instrument processing and possible causes of staining are understood. This lesson will explore the most common stains as well as what to look for and possible causes and cures. The learning objectives, discuss the effect staining has on instrumentation, explain the causes of instrument stains, review the most common instrument stains and their causes, and corrective actions. You know, like the article says, instruments are the major financial investment for any healthcare facility. If instruments are properly cared for, they'll last years, right? So, understanding the how and the why behind the common causes of staining, corrosion, and spotting can help prevent permanent damage to instrumentation. The last article we're going to get into today is in the professional perspective section, and it's titled, AMI, AORN, and AST, what the standards guidelines state about point of use instrument care and transport. This article identifies six different situations within that realm of point of use and it spells out in an easy to read chart that recommendations of the different organizations of AMI, AORN, and AST and how they handle the situation. So the the six different situations uh, begins at the point of use. Number two, during the procedure. Number three, post-procedure. Number four, disassembly of instruments. Number five, separation of sharps. And last, instruments open but not used. So again, this article is gonna list out those recommendations from the organizations uh, in an easy uh, chart format so you can make the best informed decision at your facility. That's going to do it for Mailbox Mania and my review of the Process Magazine. Just a reminder, I only touched on a few articles in this publication. There's a lot more information in this magazine just waiting for you. And now it's time to talk about point of use treatment. So I have Rose CV here. Rose CV is president and CEO of CV Healthcare Consulting and former director of sterile processing at the Children's Hospital of Denver. Rose was given the Isham Honor of Award. She is also the author of the book, Sterile Processing in Healthcare Facilities, Preparing for Accreditation Surveys, published by Amy, now in its third edition. She has served on several AMI committees helping to write national standards. So welcome, Rose, to the process of this podcast. Let's talk about point-of-use treatment. Point-of-use treatment of instruments has been a part of the process for a very long time. However, it seems like it's getting a lot of attention right now. Can
0: you tell us what factors
1: are driving that?
0: Sure. There are very many reasons. Turnover time constraints, increased technological procedures, more complicated instruments than we ever had before, lack of policy enforcement if you do have a policy from management, general feeling that those that are scrubbing, it's not my job, Mm -hmm. physicians refusing to have water on the sterile field, but... The real reason is that infections are being transmitted because instruments are not being properly cleaned and biofilm is starting to form. So a big part of that is the formation of biofilm, and we can help reduce that with point-of-use treatment, and it's aimed at eliminating that.
1: So what is the risk failure to really perform the point-of-use treatment of instruments in the OR?
0: Moistening and removing of the gross soil at the point of use it really can help prevent that organic material and different debris from drying on our instruments. If that does dry on there, we know that it's so much more difficult to remove from the instruments and other devices. So removal of that organic material and the debris at the point of use can help improve the efficacy and effectiveness of our cleaning and decontamination. We know that disease transmission from one patient to the other has happened many times over again. We see it in the media all the time.
1: Point-of-use treatment, you know, it's it's one of those processes that surveying agencies have really started to focus on. And there seems to be some questions about about those expectations from the surveyors. Uh, Would you talk about the point-of-use treatment and those expectations that we're seeing?
0: Sure. And we do know that that is one of the critical focuses that we have. We know, though, it takes a village to protect our patients and our instruments, so we have to work together. And one of those focus points this year is on point of use. We must make sure that at the point of use, they are wiping and flushing the soiled instruments. They're going to be looking for that. They want to see that they can observe that during a case. And then also on the Joint Commission survey, they want to see that there is some kind of process for keeping the instruments moist when they're being transported to our point of use.
1: That's extremely important. Transportation is also kind of one of those big interest points or high interest points for surveyors. Uh, what should facilities do to transport instruments or medical devices from that user unit down to sterile processing when it's in the same
2: building?
0: First of all, we know at the point of use, we've got to make sure that we are at least wiping the gross soil off the instruments and making sure those lumens are irrigated. And those instruments that have been used, we've got to keep them clean or keep them moist. And we've got to maintain the moisture in there, as our standards say, by either placing them in a container with a moist towel or some kind of uh, chemical treatment or a package that's designed to maintain that humidity. So, if it's inside the department or if it's outside the department, it really is the same. The idea is to keep the instruments moist.
1: What about instruments uh, that are coming from off-site into the sterile processing department?
0: Well, actually, it's no different, but since it's probably going to be a longer time, we really do need to make sure that the instruments are kept moist. And then we've got to make sure we're following the OSHA requirements To protect the employees and the staff or whoever may be transporting them. So, we got to make sure that we are OSHA compliant, making sure that those containers are rigid and labeled as biohazard and that they are in a, the sharps are in a puncture resistant, leak proof container. But we must make sure that um, we are protecting whoever is transporting them and keeping our instruments moist. So, it doesn't matter whether It's um, just down uh, across the hall or it's down the road. It is the guidelines and standards are the same. And let me just add to that, according to ST-79 under Section 6.5.7 is where you'll find a lot more information about off-site transportation.
1: Excellent. And that was kind of leads into my next question about resources. When facilities are developing policies or updating procedures and things like that, we're going to get that information to really uh, nail down point of use in transportation.
0: That, that is a good question. And actually, as I said, in Amy S T 79 which we know is our steam sterilization document, but also in ST-58, which is our high-level disinfection or low-temperature sterilization document, there is uh, specific information on point of use care, and I'm careful to say point-of-use care and not point-of-use cleaning because we don't want to be cleaning in the OR or in the procedure room. But both 79 and 58 talks about that. And then also for OR, we have the Guidelines for Cleaning and Care Surgical Instruments from AORN.
1: Oh, great. So a couple different resources that are available for folks in sterile processing. Last question. What advice would you give to a facility that's really developing these policies and procedures and educating staff on point of use and soil transportation.
0: Well, definitely, we've got to make sure that our policies and procedures are written to the most current guidelines and standards, like I said, 79, 58, or the AORN guidelines. But we can't write those alone. We, we have to think of this as it takes a village. So we've got to conduct a multidisciplinary risk assessment. We want to involve all stakeholders like OR, sterile processing, infection prevention, risk management. They've got a lot more clout. But it's not just writing the policy. We need to make sure that the policies are enforced and that they are written according to the instructions for use. So we need to make sure that we not only have this policy, it's enforced. So we should do annual or more often audits to make sure that that is happening. So finally, remember, we are all in this together. It's all about decreasing risks to our patients.
1: Rose, thank you so much for taking your time to come and share with us things that you have a passion for, which is CS, and we really appreciate it. So thank you, Rose. You're welcome. Always a pleasure to speak with Rose and tap into her expertise. Now I have the pleasure of speaking with Tony Thurman, your and my Isham president, also talking about the hot topic, Point of Use. So we're hearing a lot about... Uh, collaboration, and really the need to tear down silos and work together for a common goal. I understand that you've been doing some of the good things really to enhance that collaboration. Can you tell our listeners a little bit
2: about that? Yes, I work at uh, the Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we were preparing for joint commission and noticed that a lot of the departments were not complying with point-of-use cleaning. Uh, The OR was one of the teams. Uh, but labor and delivery, uh, wound care center, uh, et cetera. So there were several departments out there. Uh, had the managers reaching out to my department saying, can you teach us what we need to do? Um, and we uh, sat down and we thought about it. We got infection control and accreditation involved because we felt we would need um, a little support with that because uh, it's, many people know in the hospitals we get, comfortable in our positions and don't want to change. So infection control and accreditation was more than happy to jump on board. And they basically looked at us and said, you're the experts at this. Tell us and guide us. That was so new for me because other hospitals I've been at throughout my 35 years, uh, no one wants sterile processing to be the lead on anything. <laughs> they don't want us to um, be the voice uh, or, or lead. But um, they saw that we were um, very vigilant in our efforts to make it happen. So they uh, really jumped on board with us and said, you lead it, tell us what you need. So we really worked with each individual department, um, and there was a lot of resistance. I mean, that's um, it's unfortunate, but um, I think when you get into a clinic setting, their concern is get the patient in, get the patient out. They don't have time to... Uh, clean, wipe down the instrument, uh, bag it, spray it, bag it, and um, prepare it for pickup. Mm-hmm. So we uh, really had uh, a struggle with that area. So once we got people on board to say, uh, yes, we, want, we're, we see what, what's needed um, and we want to do it, but why do we have to do it? So then we presented them with IFUs for instrumentation, different types of instrumentation majority of them having their right right away. says so point of use cleaning, you know, clean at the point of use, prepare it, um, uh, stage it for decontamination. So uh, the point of use cleaning does not start in decontamination. It starts right after it is finished with the patient. Like I said, at first there was some resistance. Then, okay, let's get on board with this. Let's see how we do this, how we make it happen in our busy day. We started doing it in our instrument tracking system was, when we've received an item in decontamination, if it hasn't been sprayed or kept moist, then we identify it as, you know, not being moist or not, not sprayed. And each individual department gets a report on that weekly. And actually, some of the departments have done so well, we've cut it back to just monthly, but weekly to show. And it was interesting to see how some staff were bought into it and wanted, wanted to do it, but like, You know, we've been doing this. I I don't understand why you're you're saying we're not. And then they look at a different shift and realize that shift wasn't carrying through their responsibilities. So it was very interesting to say, well, I'll talk to her. (laughs) You know, uh, so we felt like, okay, we got to watch our backs at all times here because, you know, people think we're getting in trouble. That's a fact. We just want to do it right. Yeah. The right way. So, um, The um, numbers have increased tremendously as far as compliance. The OR was another one that was somewhat resistant for the fact of get the patient in, get the patient out, here's your instruments, go clean them, do your thing. Well, any person that is credentialed or certified through ARN or AST, any of the surgical technology programs, they're taught that. They're taught that You do that at the at the very end of the case or during the case. Use a a moist sponge and Mm -hmm. clean the instrument during the case. And um, a lot of them probably answer that question on the test, but never practice it. True. So so um, so now we're we're getting them on board, and um, it's been a lot better, and it's it's uh, helping our staff and our department because Mm decontamination against items and uh, bone chunks and. Soil, dried on soil, uh, blood is, you know, it's moist, so it's easier to clean. And that's what it needs to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you put in new processes, uh, there's always, you know, anytime something changes, there's always some resistance. How did you get uh, that necessary buy-in from your staff?
2: My staff was all, all for it because they received the items daily and see dried on blood and and items such as that so they uh, they knew what the right way to do it is we we preached that basically but uh, they were really looking at management and saying why aren't we doing anything about this so time for us to put our foot down and do what we have to do as, as managers go out and like I said the the support I had from infection control and um, accreditation they were just they were incredible to to really work with it and uh, they were like Tell us what you're thinking. Tell us what, you know what we need to say in a, in a policy. We'll draft up the policy. Once again, that's never been my experience before. So,
1: yeah, and I, I think that's probably a lot of people, especially our listeners, are hearing that saying, "Yeah, we wish we had that too." Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. and um, and I wish everyone does you know would get to that point. And I think it's 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 really just a part of um, reaching out, asking, and you know asking for the help.
1: Did you learn any lessons or anything that you think would help our listeners as they're going through this process or they're trying to begin that process? Well,
2: a couple of the clinics, the wound care clinic, for example, um, they ask us, you know, do you have competencies on this? Do you do you inspect your staff? Uh, how often do you inspect your staff on this? And we help them develop their competency for doing point-of-use cleaning and, um, Labor and Delivery was another one that that asked, and I was like, you know, we need a step-by-step. So we developed aids for them in their solid rooms where they take all the solid instruments. Mm -hmm. So we developed aids for them of how it needs to be packaged and and prepped for pickup. And um, they were very thankful for that. And like I said, it's, it's been a big help. Well, great, Tony.
1: Thank you. I think this is a great example of sterile processing leadership taking charge of, you know, things like point-of-use cleaning, being the leader that we should be, and also collaborating with uh, infection prevention, accreditation, and regulatory folks to break down those silos to really uh, improve the care that we give our patients. So, thank you, Tony, for Mm -hmm. giving us that insight. Thank you, Joe. Again, a big thank you to Tony and Rose for speaking with us today. It just goes to show you that it doesn't matter where you are in your career, doesn't matter how big or how small your facility is, even if you're the president of Isham, you still are going to face issues. You're still going to have to work hard to make processes within sterile processing safe for patient care. Isham Nation Episode 6 is in the books. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. One last reminder, show me how you're gonna improve patient care by submitting those poster presentations due January 31st. Now, to receive CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code. The code for this episode is POSTER2020. That's POSTER2020. Happy New Year, Isham Nation keep an ear out for the next episode on the 15th. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.